On this episode of Sex, Lies, and the Truth. I was sitting in my work office. My dad said, yep, yeah, you're adopted. And I'm staring at the law going, what the fuck just happened here? I think they would have taken this to the grave and had no intent of telling me. I'm Jody Klugman Rab, a licensed marriage and family therapist in California. I took a DNA test for fun that led to the shocking discovery that the man who raised me was not my biological father, that I am an NPE or a non-paternal event. And I'm Christina Bryan Fitzgibbons. I've been a genetic and family investigator in Northern California since 2015. Most of my work focuses on interpreting DNA results and locating biological family. And that's how I met Jody. This is Sex, Lies, and the Truth, a collection of stories devoted to unexpected DNA discoveries, like donor conceptions, adoptions, or falsified and misled parentage discovered from at-home DNA tests, like non-paternal events. These are real people talking candidly about the projection, shock, vulnerability, or fears that shape their stories. Some will make you laugh, cry, and cringe. You know, just like your family, only with a shrink and genealogist on call. In today's episode, we meet Brad, an unassuming and extremely pleasant police officer from Plano, Texas. This episode airs many months after it was recorded, not long after the hashtag defund the police movement took root. And you might not know it from the calm cadence of his voice, but in the background of Brad's story of DNA discovery is the life and death job of a first responder in the middle of a pandemic and massive civil reorganization. As many of our guests' stories begin, Brad's began with an innocent DNA test in 2015, but it was remarkable for Brad because he never felt out of place in his family. He never had the intuition many MPEs have about not fitting in. I grew up here in Texas, and I grew up with a fairly well-off family, my mom and dad, until my recent discovery. I always believed were my mom and dad. It was really strange when I had this discovery because unlike a lot of people that had a lot of early intuition of, I don't fit here, I'm not the right person, I don't, this family doesn't feel right, I bought everything hook, line, and sinker. I grew up, I was like, this is my home, these are my parents. I never batted an eye. I knew that I didn't look a lot like my dad. I look exactly like an overgrown version of my mom. So I, I really had no question. I was kind of bummed that I didn't look a little more like my dad, but I didn't have any doubt of where I came from. One of the weird things for me growing up was my dad was an airline pilot. They traveled extensively to Europe. My mom and he did all the time. And I was always asking, hey, when you're there, see if you can find like our family crest, all that kind of cool stuff, because I just, it interested me. I wanted to know. And they totally blew it off anytime I brought it up. It was always a, oh, that stuff doesn't matter. That's not interesting. We don't care. So I eventually learned, I'm going to stop asking about that because we didn't talk about it. So when 2015 rolled around and Ancestry had been doing their DNA tests for a few years, my wife and I decided that would be and I always use air quotes, a fun Christmas thing to do. So our results came back. I literally looked at the map 
and was like, okay, so I'm part English, I'm part Irish, I'm part Scottish. There's a little bit of Norwegian in me. Cool, got it, closed it, and I never looked at Ancestry again. My wife was more into genealogy. She played around with her end of it some, worked on some family trees, didn't use any matching. I'll be honest, and I, I feel kind of dumb and naive. It really never clicked with me when I did it that I was getting matched to other people that I would see ever. I just thought I was going to see this map. Brad took an Ancestry DNA test, and like many who purchase and use these direct-to-consumer kits, he didn't look very closely at the results. If he had, he would have noticed an option to view relatives who've also taken the same test. Generally, the most closely related relatives are listed at the top or first. Brad put very little thought into who was listed and where and moved on. Everything was normal and good until 2019. We did Ancestry on a single account with her, so I was just linked into her account. And my wife got a message in Ancestry one day that said, I'm, I show to be very closely related to this BE person on your account. And I'm just trying to figure out how we're related. Well, I don't know if my wife didn't know about the matches or didn't pay much attention to it either. Neither one of us clicked the match button to see who this person was. We had found out a few years before that, that there was a possibility that my mom was adopted. By this point, all of my biological grand or all my grandparents had passed. So there was really no way to confirm it. The way she found out was her mom her mom dropping it on her kind of as a bomb about a week or two before her mom died. My immediate thought was this lady is about the same age as my mom. I bet that it's a sister, a cousin, or someone like that. So I told my wife, I was like, you know, tell her that. My mom doesn't do the internet. She's terrified of the internet. So tell her that. Please let her know that there's never going to be any response from my mom because she doesn't do that stuff. And on March 16th, my wife and I were out on a lunch date. And I knew that my wife and this lady had talked off and on on Facebook Messenger. My wife said, hey, I got a message from this lady I want to read to you. I was like, okay. She said, I've done all this research and I'm 100% for sure that I am in no way related to this BE's mom's person. I found her mom and they weren't in the same state. It couldn't be that. So I don't think that's it. And I told my wife, I was like, well, I mean... It sucks, but I don't know what else to tell her. I feel bad for her. I'm sorry. So my wife told her, you know, I'm sorry. I don't really have any leads for you. Going back now and seeing some of the conversations that my wife and I had had with her, my wife had had with her, she was hinting all along and we were just totally blind to it. She she gave all these little hints and we, I say we, I wouldn't read them back then because I was like, you can talk to her if you want to, but I have no interest in talking to her. I have no idea who she is. So my wife kept talking to her. She had explored all that. So we're sitting at lunch and my wife told her, you know, I'm sorry. I don't know what else to tell you. And he's like, well, can, can I ask y'all one more question? My sister had a baby boy in Dallas on July 8th, 1970, which is also my birthday. And he was immediately given up for adoption. And I think that's this BE person on, on your account. Remember that BE was Brad's account tied to his wife's more public one and that Brad had done the ancestry test as a fun holiday present to themselves so he could learn more about his heritage. There is a saying to be careful what you ask for, in this case, for Brad to learn where he came from through ancestral ethnicity, a way to answer the family history conversations his parents would never have. And I told my wife, oh, that's not it. I look like my mom. I've got my birth certificate. So ask her what hospital that she thinks I was born at because I wanted to help her. And we get to the house. I'll grab my birth certificate. I'll make sure that it matches or doesn't match. And I'll tell her and that we, we can at least get her 
off the wrong track and onto the right track. Couldn't remember the exact hospital that I was born in, but gave a general location of that hospital. After the fateful lunch, they made their way back home with Brad's in-laws. He and his wife continued the information exchange with the mystery woman as the unknown woman gave accurately detailed descriptions of his hometown. This triggered a desire to help her rather than confusion about his own history. And I went to our little fire safe and pulled out my birth certificate. I'm 50 now. I've probably had that thing for 30 years, if not longer, that it was just with me. And I've never really paid any attention to it. So I pulled my birth certificate out. And where place of birth goes, there was just a dash. And it says, you know, either hospital or address of birth. And then instead of either one, there's just a dash there. And I was like, well, that's weird. So then I realized my wife was born in Dallas, just like me in 1970. So I was like, well, our birth certificates ought to be about the same. So I grabbed hers out of the fire safe too, put it next to mine, and they couldn't be more different. If y'all are old enough to remember, I am microfiche. Oh, yeah. Mine looked like a bad copy off a microfiche machine. I didn't have any signatures on mine and my dad's name where where that should be signed. His name was just typed in. The other really weird part for, for it was my wife's had the stamp of the Dallas County Health Department on it. Mine had the stamp from Travis County, Austin, where the capital was, but I was born in Dallas. Despite Brad's law enforcement training, the doubt and assuredness of what he thought he knew was taking control. He began making excuses for the discrepancies in his birth certificate. Maybe they lost it, and a copy was what you got when you obtained a replacement. Thinking logically, Brad went online to search the hospital. And that's where things kind of started to turn for me. The hospital that she described was three miles from my grandparents' house. And it was a hospital I had been to over and over in my childhood to meet this doctor. Not ever for a checkup, but whenever we would go meet my grandparents, we would stop by this hospital and meet this doctor and talk to him for a little bit and hang out. And then we'd go. And I just kind of, you know, you're a kid, you go where your parents take you. My assumption was this is a family friend and we see him when we go visit grandma and grandpa. By now, the doubt was getting too big to ignore. Brad began to search his memories, trying my to put together what he remembered room, of a happy and simple family story. That's when he thought about the photographs. Something is really, really wrong. My parents were voracious photographers of their lives. They've got pictures from their wedding all the way through. So there, there wasn't any lack of any photographs, except I realized I had never, ever, ever seen a picture of my mom pregnant ever. Then the worst one or the probably stronger one came to my mind, which was, I think everybody just about that I know at one time or another has upset their mother and heard the phrase, I was in labor for you for this long, and this is what you do to me. Not only had I never heard that guilt trip, my mom has told every embarrassing story about me to my wife that I'd never want told. We've had three kids. Or my mom's been there for all the births. And I have never once heard a story when I was born. At this point, Brad began to freak out. Things he took for granted took on a different meaning as he, again, searched back through memories. Who among us hasn't taken these sorts of things for granted? Brad ran through the discoveries with his wife, including comparing both of their birth certificates and the lack of a pregnancy story from his mother. And when his wife asked him what he planned to do, his response? I have no idea. And I'm at an absolute loss. 
So we talked for a little while longer and she finally reminded me, we have a close friend from church who's known since she was young that she was adopted. And through some open records requests and things like that, eventually tracked down her bio family. The next day, Brad brings his adopted friend up to speed and asks her to look at his own birth certificate, the apparent key piece of evidence. Once she has a chance to get her own, she calls Brad back. So she gets back on the phone and she's very quiet and she's like, um, so I don't know if you're going to like all this, but I'm going to text you my birth certificate. She was also born in Texas, not in Dallas, but I think 69, maybe a year before us. So all around the same time, her birth certificate and mine were carbon copies of each other. Both had dashes where we were born. Both had the witness's name typed in place. Both of them were from Travis County. Both of them, like where my wife's was stamped and signed and all that by the registrar the day that she was born. Both of ours were three or four days later. That's not good. This, this is looking more like I'm probably adopted. We talked for a while about how she got to figuring out who her bio family was. And she told me, honestly, it was a fluke. She was able to de- decipher one signature on one piece of paper from the record she got and got lucky and found the person. I decided that I would call my dad. My dad and I talk all the time away from my mom. My mom is the consummate warrior. And I don't know if because of the stress this time, it sounded different or what was wrong. But and once again, because I'm not bright sometimes in the plans I have. So I'm sitting at work. I've now closed the door to my office. I'm on the phone with my dad. I was like, hey, um, nothing important. And I, I tried to run through the whole list. I was like, nobody's getting divorced. Nobody's sick. Nobody's broke. There's nothing wrong. But next time you're around, I wanted to bounce a couple ideas off you. Just text me, let me know, and we'll grab a cup of coffee. He's like, okay, so what's going on? I was like, nothing important. Just let's talk when I see you next. He goes, yeah, yeah, I get it. But I don't like to be blindsided. So what's going on? I was like, it's nothing. It's really, really, really not important. It's something that will definitely wait. Okay, yeah, I mean, I can definitely meet you. But I want to know first what we're going to talk about. Probably only went like four or five back and forth. It felt like I did that for 20 minutes trying to get out of this phone conversation. And finally, I said, well, I'm doing everything I can to tell you I don't want to do this on the phone with you. Do you understand? He said, yeah, I do. But you want to do this on the phone, don't you? He goes, yep, I want to know. So, well, you remember the Pam and I did an ancestry kit? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I do. Y'all did that at Christmas. I said, yep. And a lady contacted us that showed to be a relative. And we thought it was mom's sister or cousin or something. And he was like, wow, that's amazing. I can't believe they can do stuff like that. I was like, yeah, apparently they can. We had no idea. I said, but it turns out that's not it. And he goes, oh, okay. So so what is it? I said, well, she says that I'm her sister's son and y'all adopted me and just never told me. And it was just dead silent. All I got was a single, huh. And we just sat in silence. I'm really not trying to be an ass and be hard, but this isn't going to be real until you tell me. And I already, I already understand what you're about to say. Big sigh. And then, well, yeah, we adopted you and we've been trying to figure out a way to tell you. Apparently today's the day. And he said, well, I better go home and talk to your mom. Well, how, how can we talk about this? I said, well, I'm, I'm working tonight. I'm working tomorrow. Why don't I come over on Monday and we'll sit down and talk. With confirmation from his father, Brad now understood the woman who contacted him via Ancestry was his biological aunt, and his father wasn't his biological father at all. When the conversation resumed on Monday, it went about as you might expect. So I get there. My mom is fully crying. My dad is 
doing a dad cry, little, little tears, not much else. And it starts with probably my least favorite thing that everybody tells you, nothing has changed. So I, I should back up and say that my parents are secret keepers. I've known this my whole life. I grew up in the house of don't tell your mom. Their version was other than talking to that doctor, getting the adoption set up, they could tell me nothing about my birth story. So I filled them in on what I had learned. I spent most of my time trying to make them feel better about all of this having happened the way it did. We talked, honestly, it it probably wasn't more than an hour. It was a very brief conversation because you could tell they really didn't want to have it to begin with and they really didn't have anything to add. All they could tell me was, we're still your parents and nothing has changed. And I would tell them, well, you're, you're absolutely still my parents. You're the only parents I've ever known, but a whole lot has changed in my life. They immediately asked, well, what, what are you going to tell the grandkids? And I was like, well, they're, they ranged back then in age from, I think, 21 to 12. And I said, I'm going to tell them age appropriately what they need to know about what's going on. And they were not cool with that at all. So I said, I can't do this and sit in a bedroom with my door shut and ignore my kids to figure all this out. So I said, I'm, I'm telling them. And they didn't like it, but I told them, Probably the best thing I ever told him was, the only thing I can tell you is your secret is not mine to bear. Brad's adopted grandparents were friendly with the doctor he had been visiting. This doctor played the middleman and facilitated the adoption with Brad's biological mother. This process is known as a gray market adoption. And what it ended up being was my aunt and my biological father were married and living in California. When my biological father also decided that it would be fun to start having sex with his wife's 15-year-old little sister. I, I don't, I've never really gotten it straight. They got divorced, not because of the sister thing. She had some suspicions, but had no actual proof. So they got divorced, and my biological father moved to Dallas, and she stayed in California with her sister. Well, a short time later, she decided to move to Dallas. She never explained why. I fully believe it was chasing after a bio dad. And a little bit after that, when her sister graduated from high school, her sister said, hey, I don't want to be in California anymore. Can I move to Dallas too? By this time, my biological father was married to a lady here in Dallas. And apparently now my bio mom is 17 or so. And the relationship starts back up between my bio dad and bio mom while bio mom's still living with her sister that's the ex-wife. According to Brad's biological father, the relationship with his young sister-in-law was only an occasional hookup. So when she ended up pregnant, Brad's father was already riding his motorcycle with the Banditos motorcycle gang, enjoying free love and rock and roll across the country. She got pregnant, he left, and she never told a soul. It's one of those things that when I look back, I'm glad I didn't learn as a teenager. At 48 years old, I got it. It totally made sense. There wasn't a whole lot of like, I can't understand why she would give me up for adoption. No, I, I get it. You're having your sister's ex-husband's kid. That is way complicated in life, especially at 17 years old. So bio mom's pregnant and she starts going to this clinic right down the street from my grandparents' house. According to their version of events and my aunt's version of events, when my bio mom delivered me, she was the only one allowed in the hospital. Her sister couldn't come. Nobody else could come. My parents' lawyer went inside the hospital. And a few minutes later, the lawyer and the doctor emerged from the hospital in the parking lot and handed me off and said, here's your baby. And off I went. 
And this cracked me up because my parents have always seemed very straight laced to me. And I, I still, I still call them my parents because they've literally been the parents I've had since I walked out of a hospital. So they had to go through CPS, whatever that version was back in 1970, but they were living in Chicago and they were adopting a baby in Dallas. So they set up a fake nursery in my grandparents' house right down the street from the hospital. And anytime they came to do a welfare check on me, my mom, who was working for the airline back then too, would hop on a plane with me, fly home, throw me in the crib. They'd do a check on me. Then they'd put me back in the plane, fly me back to Chicago. Brad's parents turned out to be really good secret keepers. But in the end, it didn't stop Brad from accidentally learning everything about his birth story. And he learned some pretty interesting things about his paternal family. Here's where I add in the gratuitous plug for one of my favorite MPE themes, synchronicity. The stories that appear on our podcast usually include a fair amount of synchronicity, but Brad's story is thick with it. The discovery of any new family is a life-changing event, but as an only child, the discovery of a sibling is a big deal for Brad. Unfortunately, not all the discoveries were as positive. Brad never learned if his adoptive mother was herself adopted, so that piece remains a mystery. But the story of how she learned she may be adopted will break your heart. Just before my grandmother passed away, she told my mom, there's something you should know. You're adopted. I kind of regret doing it. We did it because your dad wanted to, and I just thought you should know. And that was all she was ever told. Unfortunately, Brad never met his biological mother. She died of lung cancer 19 years before he even found any of this out. Brad has been able to meet his biological father, who, at 76 years of age, is 48 years into a life sentence for murder in Louisiana. His biological father has no chance for parole, but in the course of their visits, they discovered more synchronicity. Brad's biological father went to high school with Brad's adoptive mother. We asked Brad why he felt he resembled his adoptive mother so strongly now that he's made contact with genetic relatives. I think that just happens sometimes. I mean, we're both brown hair, brown eyes, darker colored skin. I think it just happens sometimes. I mean, there's people that I work with that somebody's asked for, hey, is that your brother? And now that I've done DNA, I know for sure it's not, but we do look a lot alike. And I can't tell you the number of times I was told, you look just like your mom. You look just like your mom. Do I really look just like my mom? I think I do some. Do I look exactly like her now that I've seen my biological family? No, I look exactly like them. All my siblings are half siblings because I've never had any other siblings. I just call them all sisters and brothers because that's all I've got. The first time I met my sister on bio mom's side, I didn't see it. And I think that was just because I was in shock because that was the first relative I met. But my wife took pictures. She showed me and I was like, oh, wow, that's me as a girl. Now that Brad discovered who he looked like, we asked how the biological family has received him as the stranger they're suddenly intimately related to. Unlike so many people, they have all welcomed me with open arms. I don't know. I think it probably helps that I'm another reminder of their sister that's passed and that they were really good about, they would message and say, we don't want to overwhelm you. We, we want to give you space and time because we know this is a lot. And they were super welcoming. There was a lot of family drama when it happened because while she'll never say it, I think the aunt that found me, part of her other drive was she had told her sisters that her little sister that had passed had had an affair with her husband and she was determined to prove that was true. And I was the proof. When that started getting waved around, that caused a little family drama there between them. But they were all so open and nice to me. It was immediately text messages, mainly Facebook Messenger. I am a dyed-in-the-wool introvert to the point that my counselor will tell you it's kind of pathological. It's not necessarily a good thing. 
So I, I could only go so long talking to them before I'm like, this is just way too much already. Brad mentioned his disdain for the platitude, nothing has changed, we're still your parents, a common misstep for those circling the MPE individual. So we asked what he felt had changed in his relationship with his adoptive parents, if anything. Identity-wise, I spent a lot of time looking in the mirror simply just wondering who in the hell I was. I, it, it was really a, I don't understand everything I thought is just not true. The other big thing was where a lot of people have a sense of abandonment, finding out they were given up for adoption. I understood why I was given up for adoption. The abandonment that I really felt was after that first hour-long discussion, what I didn't understand right then was that was being put back in the box and that would be our last discussion about it. So I was meeting biological family. I was done with the secrets. So I didn't want to keep it a secret. But any time it came up in conversation, they would change the topic. Bad enough one time I was going to meet my brother for the first time. My dad called out of the blue, just, hey, what are you doing? I was like, I'm going to meet a friend for dinner. Really? What friend? I was like, oh, it's a guy that you never met before, just an old friend of mine. Well, but who is he? I was like, he's my brother. And the response I got was, and it is hot today. I felt like I'd had a pretty secure family relationship growing up. It was total abandonment when I really felt like I needed him because there was nobody there. I mean, I could talk to my wife and she was totally awesome about it. But it it almost colored everything with a dirty lens because everything felt like I was doing the wrong thing. Once I started therapy, the whole reason I started therapy was trying to decide if I was going to go visit my biological dad because I have never been a good person with emotions. It's not something I enjoy. I'm very analytical. Emotions are not fun. I'd immediately recognize that this person as a concept, talking to him by email is great. But if I hear his voice or I go see him, that makes it a lot more real than the email would. So I wrestled with that for a while. The end result was I decided to do it. So I feel a little more settled because now that I've met them, while I've never met my biological mom, I've seen pictures of her, I see a lot more of kind of my internal wiring. I'm a diehard introvert. The first time I met BioDad and he was talking to me about what he was like, I stopped him at one point and said, I just want to tell you because it's really weird. It's like listening to someone tell me about me. When my dad passed, everybody that I talked to after he passed said the same thing. He was larger than life. He owned any room he walked into. He was, he was the super extrovert. My mom was a super extrovert. And I was always in the corner being like, how could I disappear and have nobody see me today? I had never really felt out of place from it there. I just thought that we were different. I didn't know enough about any of that to know that there might be some biological root. Turns out there was. And even my seeing the pictures of my biological mom, what I saw was somebody in every picture who was very reserved, didn't smile a lot, didn't seem totally wild and crazy. Now, at the same time, her family describes her as a hate Ashbury wild child. But when you saw pictures of her, I was like, no, I mean, that, that's me. You might get a half smirk smile if you get me posing a picture, but that's the best about I can ever manage when you want to take pictures. So I'm settled in the idea of I've got a lot better feeling where where I came from. The identity part that I probably struggle with the most right now is I'm just kind of wrapping my head around and I don't know why the whole NPE thing stuck before the adoption thing did. I totally embraced and understood the NPE. I'm really just recently wrapping my head around how adoptions probably affected my personality, things I didn't really ever consider one way or another. 
As we finished our conversation with Brad, we asked if he would do the ancestry test again, knowing what he knows now. He couldn't give a definitive answer, but it's very clear that he's benefited from having so many wonderful new people in his life as a result of the test, particularly his siblings. Thanks to Brad for sharing his journey with us and helping to expand how we understand family and identity. A few days after our interview, I really felt like there was more to hear from Brad, particularly what it was like to find out your biological father was in prison for the rest of his life. Here's our first after show. I was sitting in my work office. My dad said, yep, yeah, you're adopted. And I'm staring at the law going, what the fuck just happened here? I think they would have taken this to the grave and had no intent of telling me. I feel kind of dumb that I didn't look at anything in Ancestry other than, oh, cool, there's my map. 38, I had cancer. And cancer didn't run in either side. My mom or adopted mom or dad's family. And they're like, this is so weird. This doesn't run in our family. Well, no shit. You already kind of totally lose control when this happens because all of a sudden, the people that were, that were your parents aren't your parents anymore. So everything feels completely out of control. I fake my way through it. I come home from work most days exhausted. He was a member of one of the big outlaw motorcycle clubs. And he was paid to kill a witness in an upcoming trial. Before I became an officer, I worked in a jail for two and a half, almost three years. I've been around a lot of murders. So it wasn't a big, like, oh my gosh thing for me. He's like, well, if you want to contact him, you can email him. And I was like, they have email in prison? Turns out they do. So, I mean, I, I sent him an email. I think the first thing I ever sent him was, it sounds like we may be related, but we don't really know. Because, I mean, it wasn't that I was terrified to say, oh, this guy in prison is my father. It was more, I didn't want to go down this road half cocked just to be told, oh, by the way, here's something else that was wrong. So I wrote it out for him and sent it to him. And his next email to me started with, hey, son, I could be your biological father. I know that I was with your mother around that time frame, but I have no idea if she was with anybody else. I am open about it with everybody, but my mother probably, and my mother open to a degree, but it usually causes me more drama and headache than I would prefer. So I usually try to dodge that topic around her. I'd say there's a handful of people that I talk to that really get what a mess it's made in my life. Most people kind of view it like, you know, it's the next lifetime drama and it's just really cool to listen to and watch because it's such a train wreck. But I mean, it was an hour drive through the sticks to eventually roll up on a gate that says Louisiana State Penitentiary. And you're like, oh, well, here I am at my destination. And there's literally nothing else there. So when I got to the prison gate and got all my searching and my ID done and all that, they put me on a bus and I was on a bus for four and a half miles before I got to where I was going to go meet him. I'm just sitting there looking out the windows going, well, if this goes bad, I don't even know how to get out of here. So I've been a cop for 25 years. I've been around my fair share of criminals. I've heard, you know, these aren't my pants. This isn't my fault. The world is against me. These are all the reasons that I'm in trouble. So I had gotten myself kind of ready for that. And I was like, well, if I get there and I get that, we'll talk, we'll meet, and that'll be that. And we'll probably, I mean, we'll, we'll email and we'll talk a little bit, but I don't really need more excuses of things in my life. I'm still getting those at home from my parents. And, and he walked in the, in the visitation room. We gave each other a hug. We sat down at the table. 
And he started spilling out all of his misdeeds just all at once. And, and when he walked in the room, I was like, oh, holy shit, that's my dad. And that, that was that. It was so the opposite of what I expected. And I think, and you know, I can't speak for him. I think part of it was a test of if I get all this out now and he rejects me, I haven't invested a lot into it. And he just spilled it. We had an eight-hour visit. It went from 8.30 in the morning till 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And there's parts of it I'm still 100% sure I don't even remember. And I mean, there were times where I found him talking and I was staring at him going, holy shit, this is what I look like in my 70s. So to have somebody sit down and just spill it all out, I was like, this is, this is somebody I can have in my life. There are other people. I, I legitimately walked away from that first visit liking him. Take, take away, and, and, and not really even take away. I get it. He did a bad thing. He's done some horrible things. But do I like the guy as a person? I do. If he sat down next to a, next to me at a bar and started drinking and telling stories, I just sat there and talked to him. I, I just genuinely like him. Prison made it super, I think, I think they're just, at, it adds a whole layer of stress on there. So if you, so we're at a point now where we talk every Monday by telephone and we video visit every Friday. And then we email in between. So Everything's 10 minutes. I get a 10-minute phone call on Monday. I get a 10-minute video visit on Friday, and we email back and forth in the meantime. I had always called him by his first name, and I emailed him and said, you know, at some point, I've got to figure out something else to call you because um, calling you by your name does not seem like I'm being honest with myself because that's, I mean, that's who you are, but you're also biologically my father. But I've already had a dad. I had a great dad, and I can't have two dads. So let's talk names. And he emailed back, well, you know, what about father? And I was like, I'm fine with father, but, I mean, you can tell by talking to me. Formal's not really my style of language. So father, I mean, that sounds like something that Darth Vader says to Luke Skywalker, you know, I'm your father. And I'm like, yeah, that's, I'm like, that's not it. So I was like, how do you feel about pop? And he said, "I, I like pop. Let's do pop. Can I call you son? I was like, I think I'm ready for that now. I mean, to this day, I, I still don't feel like I fully know who I am. I'm still working through that. Sex, Lies, and the Truth is written and produced by Christina Fitzgibbons and Jody Klugman-Rab, two moms and professional women living the dream. We crack each other up, we can sniff out the truth, and we help people tell their stories. If you or someone you know would like to tell their story, you can reach us at sexliesinthetruth.com. If you are a fan of Sex, Lies, and the Truth and want to support us, you can do that through Patreon. Patreon is a really cool platform where fans of shows like ours can pledge a small amount each month, even just a few dollars, to support the show. You can find us there at www.patreon.com forward slash sex lies and the truth.